0: Bible to Matthew chapter 16. Not chapter 16, that was the memory verse, sorry, chapter 14. If you turn there, it's page 980 in uh, the church Bibles and page uh, 1523 in the large print Bibles. And this evening we'll look at Matthew 14 from verses 1 uh, down to verse 12. When I was uh, growing up, uh, we didn't have any Christian influence in my home uh, whatsoever, except for the fact that I did uh, own, and I don't know how I got it, uh, an illustrated children's Bible. So I had one of these Bibles uh, on my bookshelf. Uh, In the midst of all my other books about football and uh, history, I had this book, the Illustrated Children's Bible. Now, most children, if you were to ask them... Uh, Do you know any Bible stories? If they've never been to church, you may expect them to know a couple of Bible stories. Noah's Ark, for example, or Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors, even the Easter story. But if you were to ask me, do you know any Bible stories as a child? I would say, yes, I do know one Bible uh, Bible story. And that is, John the Baptist had his head cut off by a girl. Okay, that's what I knew. Because in this illustrated children's Bible... They had a picture. Now, I can understand why, in the illustrated children's Bible, they had a picture of this story. I've no idea why, of all the stories they could pick to illustrate, they chose to illustrate this one in the illustrated children's Bible. Because it was such a graphic picture, it did give me nightmares. I was terrified of this picture. And as I got older... Uh, Even as a teenager, and I still had the book on my shelf, I sometimes would open it very slowly like this and then close it again really quickly just to check the picture was still there. It terrified me. I haven't got the book anymore, so I can't show you the picture. And because there's children here, I wouldn't show the picture anyway. I don't know why they had a picture of this story, but they did get one thing right. And that is, it did portray that this is a horrible story. This is a really horrific account of what went on at King Herod's, or rather the Tetrarch Herod's, birthday party. It truly is awful. Now we're in a section of Matthew's Gospel where we're seeing uh, different responses to and different expectations of the kind of Messiah that the people were looking for. Last week we saw that in Jesus' hometown, they didn't expect a Messiah that would be from among them a carpenter from their hometown. But today we see the reaction of someone who wasn't expecting a Messiah at all because Messiah means the anointed one or Jesus is king. And this man, Herod, wanted to be the king himself. So he had no expectation and no desire for somebody else to be king. Herod was a tetrarch, this Herod, He's not the same as Herod the Great, who we met in Matthew chapter 2, who murdered all the uh, baby boys in Bethlehem. Rather, he is one of his sons. And he is called a tetrarch, which means uh, the ruler of a fourth. And that's because when Herod the Great died, his uh, kingdom was split up into four areas given to four of his sons. He wanted to be a king, which is why we'll see in verse 9, he is called a king in this passage, but that's what he wanted to be rather than what he actually was. And this Herod, Herod Antipas, ruled over the area of Galilee where Jesus was ministering at this point in Matthew's gospel. So let's see his response to Jesus in Matthew 14, 1-12. His response is really in the first couple of verses. And then the reason for that response is given in a flashback to a birthday party that happened before. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a dish the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a dish and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. This is God's word. In this passage, we uh, see three pictures. Uh, Two pictures of unbelief, that is of Herod and Herodias, and one picture of faithfulness, that of John the Baptist. And we can sum up uh, these three pictures with three uh, words. Fear, fury, and faith. Faith. There are three main characters in this story. There is Herod, Herodias, and John. Herodias' is, uh, Herodias's daughter and John's disciples are in the story, but they're periphery figures. And in these three pictures, we see some reactions to Jesus, and we learn much about how we respond to him. And the first picture we see is the fearful wicked, uh, weakness of Herod. The fearful weakness of Herod. Throughout this passage, we see Herod fearful, and despite being the one in the story who is in the position of power as the Tetrarch, he appears here as weak and unable to address his fears. What does he fear? Well, first of all, we see that he fears his conscience. He fears his conscience. Look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Well, the people of Nazareth had heard about the miraculous work of Jesus in Galilee, and Herod had also heard these reports. And Herod reacts in a very strange way, doesn't he? He thinks that this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Well, before this, as we'll see, Herod had had John beheaded. So it was a little bit crazy for him to think that these miraculous powers were from John the Baptist, who had come back from the dead and was performing miracles. His guilt over John's murder had led him to believe, it seems, that he was being haunted. Herod is fearful because he knows he has sinned, And he is concerned that his sin will find him out. This has all the marks of a guilty conscience. And his conscience terrifies him. And this happens when we try to escape dealing with our sin. It comes back to haunt us. Not only the consequences of our sin, but also even if there are no consequences as such, There is the knowledge of what we have done. There is the shame. There is the guilt. All those things haunt us and chase us down. John wasn't haunting Herod, but sin certainly was. There is a way of dealing with sin, of course, isn't there? We confess our sin to God, and we have Jesus pay for it on the cross by his death for us. There is no other way. There is no other way to cleanse the conscience. Otherwise, your sin will haunt you, and it will find you out. And there are people who carry around with them the guilt of sin. They try and press it down, but it keeps coming back. And it is a miserable and fearful way to live, to try and either make up for what we've done, or try and get it out of our minds... But if we can give it to Jesus, there is a freedom for our conscience as he pays for our sin in full. But Herod did not deal with his sin. Ironically, even though his sin made him fear, his fear of other things stopped him dealing with his sin. And we see this in a flashback in verses 3 to 12. Now, this is a a, a complex situation. If you think you've got a complicated family, uh, Herod was as complicated as they come. Uh, I I don't watch soap operas. I don't know whether you do or not. But this family is what I would imagine is on a soap opera. Uh, John had been put in prison, we read, because he'd spoken out against Herod after he had taken his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, for himself. So let me explain uh, the, 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 the family and what's going on here. So, this Herod, Herod Antipas, was married to the daughter of an Arabian king. And it was a, a political marriage that had been set up. Herod had a half brother, Herod Philip, whose wife was Herodias. Herodias also happens to be Herod Antipas's niece. So, his sister in law and his niece. One day, Herod Antipas visits his brother Herod Philip, and an affair begins with Herodias. And they decide to get married. So Herod Antipas divorces his Arabian wife, which um, we read in uh, historical documents really upset her father, and they ended up going to war over it. And he marries his brother's wife, who is also his niece. So his brother's not very happy with him. He's married his niece and sister-in-law, and they come together, and John the Baptist speaks out. What a messed up situation, right? This is a complex and messed up family. And this is what John the Baptist spoke out against, which was dangerous for Herod and Herodias, because John was a popular preacher, and people listened to him. Notice this in verse 4. It says, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So the people loved John. Herod was terrified to kill him in case the people would riot. So in this volatile situation where Herod Antipas ex-wife's father was very upset with him where the people loved john the baptist it was very uh, dangerous for herod and he feared losing power so he fears his conscience and he fears losing power he's terrified so he can't respond to john because he might lose power and rather than respond to the truth that john speaks and repents He wants to to hold on to his power and not let it go. So he doesn't deal with what he has done wrong. So we see two things that Herod fears here that stops him responding rightly to truth. He fears dealing with his sin, and secondly, he fears losing power. But Herodias, as we'll see in a moment, has no such fear whatsoever. She wants John dead, and she's determined to get her way. And so we have then this depraved uh, birthday party for Herod, where Herodias' daughter does a dance for Herod and his buddies at the party, and it was a drunken party, and a drunken Herod makes a stupid oath. Look at verse 7. So she pleased him so much, and in verse 7 says that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. So the daughter was prompted by her mother, who no doubt has set this trap, to ask for the head of John the Baptist uh, on a platter, We know Herod was terrified to kill John because he was scared of the popularity with the people. He was also scared of John because in Mark's gospel we read that he feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So he was scared of John because John was a good man. But verse 9 in our passage here says that the king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, He ordered that her request be granted. So you see something else he fears? He fears people's opinion of him. He murdered John because he didn't want to lose face. He feared people's opinion of him. So he's terrified of his conscience, he's terrified of losing power, and he's terrified of people's opinion of him. And so rather than respond rightly... He was weak. He was fearful. He was in the position of power as the ruler of Galilee, but he would not repent of his sin and respond to the truth because he feared dealing with his sin, losing power, and the opinions of other people. Well, how often do we reject God's word for the exact same reasons fearful weakness? Do you recognize any of those fears of Herod in your life? The fear of dealing with sin? We either fear dealing with sin because we're scared of the consequences of being found out. That can be a fear, can't it? If I, if I deal with this, people are going to know. Or if I deal with this, it's going to mean this consequence happens and so I, I, I'm just going to live miserably and cover it up. Or we might fear... Dealing with sin because we love the sin so much that we don't really want to get rid of it. We want to hold on to it somewhat. But what a misery and a tragedy Herod was because he refused to deal with his sin. You know, it will be dealt with either now in repentance, trusting in Jesus, or it will be dealt at the judgment when all the secrets of our hearts are revealed. How much better to deal with it now to give it to Jesus, to repent of sin, and live a life for him. What about the fear of losing power? To be a Christian, really, in, in a sense, but by definition, is to cede control of our lives to the word of God. We have to admit that God is in control, not us, that God has the power over my life, not me. I'm going to obey his word, follow his ways, He is God, I am not. But sometimes we can fear losing that control and power over our lives that we don't repent of sin because we want to do what we want to do. Or what about the fear of other people's opinions? We can love other people liking us so much that we don't obey God's word in case we suffer rejection. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to suffer for it. People will not always like you. That's just the fact. As we saw last week with Jesus, his family and his hometown rejected him. But it is better to lose the approval of people and gain eternal life than to be rejected by God and to lose eternal life. It is better to be hated by people and loved by God than to be loved by people and rejected by God. We have to love God more than the opinions of others if we are going to be a disciple of Jesus. So are you too fearfully weak, like Herod is here, to come to Jesus If you're too fearful of people's opinions or dealing with sin or losing power, here's something to consider that Herod would have eventually found out. There is something far, far more fearful than any of those fears that Herod had. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God far more fearful to fall into the hands of the living God than any other fear. So Herod's rejection, uh, sorry, reaction to Jesus was one of fearful weakness. His wife, on the other hand, had no such fear. In her we see another kind of rejection of God, furious wickedness. Herodias was a wicked woman who connived to get her own way. While Herod feared killing John, Herodias wanted to do whatever it took to shut him up. We read in other gospels that John wanted to go and hear John speak, so Herod wanted to go and hear John speak. Herodias wanted to do whatever it would take to stop him speaking. She would not have John telling her that she was wrong. She wanted to do whatever it would take to stop the truth coming out. And her debauchery is shown in the way here that she uses her own daughter in this dastardly plan. This young girl, probably a teenager, is sent out to Herod's birthday party with all these drunk men, no doubt dressed provocatively, to dance in front of them. Make no mistake, this would have been some kind of sexual dance that would have pleased and did please both Herod, her stepfather, and all of his dinner guests, who would have been drinking heavily. What kind of mother would do that to her child? This is debauched, but it's also hateful, isn't it? The daughter was told that she could have anything she wanted. I mean, what would you ask for? If you could have anything you wanted in the whole of your world, or whatever the kingdom you're in, you could have anything you want. I mean, how many of you would ask for the head of John the Baptist? Or the head of anybody? It's crazy, isn't it? The hate that is involved there. And she was willing to allow her child to receive the head and I, the, the picture I saw was gruesome. It would have been worse for the real thing, right? And carry it to her mother on this platter. She cared not for her daughter. Her daughter was just another pawn to be played in this hate-filled game. Herodias is furious that someone was speaking against her lifestyle. And that fury was shown in the wickedness that she allowed her daughter to participate in. Now, it is easy to judge Herodias, isn't it? She was wicked, for sure. Furiously wicked. But before we jump to condemn her, it perhaps might be worth looking in the mirror ourselves. First of all, how do you react when someone speaks God's word of rebuke to you? When someone says that you are wrong, isn't often our reaction when we're told that we're wrong the reaction of fury? How dare you? How dare you tell me I'm wrong? Well, maybe you don't try and get that person beheaded. But what about gossiping about them? Pointing out their faults? How can you say I'm wrong? You do this. Seeking to cause them harm? or at least quietly rejoicing when something goes wrong in their life. And it's easy to judge the depravity of what she has done in using a daughter to trap Herod and his guests. But how often do our girls dress in ways which try to get the boy's attention? How often are we part of a crowd of guests watching girls Not just dress provocatively, but girls that are naked on our screens, on our televisions, and our phones and such like. Because make no mistake, the girls that are on the pornography websites are no less exploited and abused than Herodias' daughter. And we might not be with a group of other men, egging them on, but we're no better than the men at Herod's birthday party when we do that. We have a window to the kind of party Herod hosted on our screens any time we want. And how much violence do we watch and see? The equivalent of seeing a head on a platter. I'm sure if you went online you could probably find a graphic video of this party and what went on. And this wickedness can take over our lives and turn us away from God's word as we ignore its demands for repentance and as our wickedness blinds us from seeing Jesus. God's word tells us we are sinners and we need to repent. And rather than reacting with fury, we need to act with repentance, turning to God and trusting that Jesus has paid for all of our sin so that we can live for him. So we've seen two Uh, Awful reactions to God's word. We've seen fearful wickedness, sorry, fearful weakness and furious wickedness. Well, how about seeing something much better? Because in John the Baptist we do. We see the faithful witness of John. Now, we've met John uh, sporadically throughout Matthew's gospel. Uh, He was the forerunner to Jesus the one announcing that he is coming. We've seen him imprisoned and sending messages to Jesus from, uh, for, from prison in chapter 11. And in that chapter, chapter 11, where John uh, doubted Jesus uh, and Jesus reassured him, Jesus says about John the Baptist that among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great man of God. And as we read the end of his life, we see the great man he was, the faithful witness of John the Baptist. He was a faithful witness to the truth, speaking God's word to power. In verse 4, we read, John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And John didn't just say this once, where we read, He had been saying to him, It's in a tense that means he didn't shut up. He kept going on and saying and saying and saying, it is not right, this is wrong, Herod. It is not lawful for you to have this woman. He didn't just speak once and run and hide. He continually, boldly proclaimed truth to power. And we know from Mark that John spoke to Herod while he was in prison. And so John would have kept saying to him, urging him to repent of his sin. How opposite to Herod is John here? John did not fear, or rather, he did not allow any fear he may have had to stop him doing what was right. John lost his freedom and his head because of the truth. But as one commentator says, it is better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. I remember uh, when I was working in IT, there was a couple of times where I had a a boss, Uh, two times it happened, a boss that was homosexual, which was fine. I had no problem with this. But I was asked one time by my boss what I thought about his lifestyle. I gently explained what the Bible said, but I thought I may lose my job. He asked me, "Would I be welcome in your church?" And I said, "Of course you would be welcome." He asked if he could be uh, serve in the church, And I said, "Well, you need to be a Christian for that. You need to believe the Bible." And I talked to him about these things. I did not get fired. In fact, we had a really great relationship um, in that workplace. But I was worried. as I was speaking this, am I going to get fired?" And I was tempted to be quiet. There are times when I've had to upset my family, when I've had to share the gospel or speak to them or live it out. But sadly, there have been times when I have not spoken out, when I should have, because I've been far more like Herod than John. All of us in our lives will have opportunities where we can speak the truth to power, speak the truth to people that aren't going to want to hear us, and we'll be tempted to be an unfaithful witness and just shut up but we need to be faithful witnesses. And we do live in a day of much evil where we should speak out when opportunity arises. And in the current day, there's many things we see in the news and on our streets that are opportunities to speak the truth. Abortion is in the news again, isn't it? We need to be speaking out against this evil where children are murdered in their millions. The confusion over gender and sexuality needs the Christian voice to be wisely spoken. Yes, just like in the abortion debate, we need compassion and careful words. But with this, there is an evil and long-term damage when young teenagers are given puberty-blocking pills and gender reassignment. We need to speak out against this. When we see wrongdoing in the workplace or in school, where there is dishonesty and exploitation, especially against the poor and the vulnerable, we need to speak the truth, don't we? Even if it gets us into trouble. Now, of course, we need to be careful. But John shows us that perhaps we can sometimes err on the side of silence and say, I need to be careful about what I say. Not really because we want to be careful, but because we are scared of the consequences. And in addition to this, as we've been praying tonight, as we looked at or thought about Afghanistan, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe, who just by speaking the truth that Jesus is Lord, literally are losing their heads like John the Baptist. In this passage here, we have seen a flashback to what happened to John. But as well as a flashback, what we see here in this passage is a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus. John was a forerunner announcing the coming of of Jesus Christ. But he was also, in his death, a foreshadower of the death of Jesus Christ. Do you see the parallels We have Herod, the appointed Roman leader who killed a man whom he feared, just like we see Pontius Pilate do a little while later. We see wicked Herodias, blinded by her sin, doing whatever it takes to kill John, just like the Pharisees were blinded by their hatred of Jesus to plot and kill him. We see John, the one who speaks God's word, dying for proclaiming it, just as we see Jesus die for speaking, even being God's word to us. We even see at the end of this passage, John's disciples in verse 12 coming and burying his body, just like Joseph of Arimathea came and do for Jesus. The big difference, of course, is what happened on the third day. John remained dead. His soul went to be with his Lord, waiting to be reunited with the resurrected body, brand new head attached. He's still waiting for that day. John was not the Messiah, but Jesus did not remain dead. He rose again. He is God's king who will judge the living and the dead. My illustrated children's Bible showed a picture of horror. And that's what we've seen. But the Bible gives a far worse picture of horror of what happens when we reject God's word. Jesus will judge those who do not respond to his word, whatever the reason, whether it's those like Herod who are fearfully weak, or like Herodias who are furiously wicked, or whatever other reason we reject Jesus, the picture the Bible gives us is a horror worse than a beheading. It's the horror of hell. But there is a better picture for those who respond in the right way to God. God will welcome those who are faithful witnesses into heaven, where we will be with King Jesus forevermore. So let us... Be faithful witnesses until the end, trusting Jesus, whatever the cost. And let's pray for one another as we try and live that way for the glory of God. We're going to respond uh, now with uh, two songs that help us to think through what we uh, have been uh, thinking of in uh, this gospel. First of all, thinking about being Christians in this world, Uh, we're going to sing love songs from heaven of filling the earth. And then as we think about the cost of following Jesus, we're going to sing Jesus, all for Jesus, and how we give everything we have and are to him.